Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Apart from the immediate anger and the frustration of um, feeling that I'd been picked on by my friends, it did make me actually sort of say, well, actually, she had a point, didn't she? Why was I black? And because of my nature... I, that was a question that I repeated to my foster mom that night, that evening. So I said, well, what? this doesn't quite compute. Everyone else in this family is white. So why am I the only black one around here? I mean, I knew my parents were black, but still, I suppose in, in some ways I was sort of questioning what makes somebody black and what makes somebody white and why are black people black people and why are white people white people? from the eyes of a five or a six-year-old. You are listening to the Dope Black Moms podcast. I am delighted to be joined by Florence Olajide. Thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure to be here. So you have written Coconut, a black girl fostered by a white family in the 1960s and her search for belonging and identity. That is an awesome title. Thank you. <laughs> was this a conscious choice then to make it so direct? Yes, it was. And I did spend many nights wondering whether some would deem it inflammatory. Um, mm-hmm. Because I am aware of the fact that some people do consider it a racial slur, different parts of the world are yes. included. But for so long, long before I even knew that the word coconut could be used as a racial slur, in many ways, because of my experiences, I did kind of see myself as a mixture of being black and white in different ways. And for me, the coconut was the item that symbolized that most effectively Mm. because it's brown and it's white and the entirety of that brownness combined with the whiteness makes up what it is it doesn't make it any less a useful fruit if anything it's actually one of the most powerful fruits out there that you can find in terms of what it's able to do and how it's able to preserve life and the fact that every part of it is actually useful um yes um later on um as i started to write um and i i started to realize that my story was about a journey and i started to break that journey up into sectors and i the, the word coconut then took on a new meaning for me and what did it change to then? What did it evolve into? Yeah, what, what it changed to was the idea that actually the coconut has three major parts. I'm sure it's got loads of different scientific parts, but from a layperson's perspective, you've got the, the brown outer shell, you've got the white flesh inside, and you've got 
the water inside, cocooned inside that white flesh. And for me, the brown shell began to symbolize all those experiences that I'd had that had been tough um, surviving and, and, and experiencing. But those experiences toughened me up. They made me more determined than ever. And, and in a way, just like the coconut, that brown shell, hard shell, protects everything that's inside the, the coconut. Over time, I, I suppose you could say I toughened up. Yeah. Such that when I then moved back to the UK, a lot of the challenges that came my way, I was able to overcome those. I won't say fairly easily, but there were no, there were not a deterrent to me getting to where I wanted to get to. If that makes yeah. any sense. So that 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 that's the, the symbolism that the brown shell took on for me. That it was about developing that inner resilience that ability to take knocks but get up again and go yeah and, and when you hear coconut now when you hear that word does it hold any power for you um for me it still holds the power of identity because i own it nice and 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 for me it, it is who i am but i'm proud of that i'm happy with who i am i'm happy with who i've become and if the image of a coconut is the one that describes that the most for me then that's what it is and that was why after lots of thoughts and lots of discussions with people um and pushing it backwards and forwards i think the general consensus was there wasn't another title that could describe my journey better than that. That's what I was just about to ask, about anything else. So it it was always going to be, you're always going to have the word coconut in the title. I was. Nice. Okay. And then a black girl fostered by a white family in the 1960s in her search for belonging identity. Did, are you making it this direct so just we all know what we're getting into or... Are you trying to speak to somebody or a group in particular, or do you just want everyone to be clear about what's going on when they pick up this book? I think it's more the latter, that it, it was a description to give people an idea of what it, what the book is about. Um, I, I wasn't the only child who was privately fostered in the 60s from West African background. There is a whole generation of children to whom that happened. And actually, since writing the book, a lot of people have reached out to me to sort of say, oh, I was fostered as well. And some people have heard. And did they relate? Did they have the same sort of experiences? Some of them did. Some of them had more difficult experiences than I had, sadly. Um, so it's been a really interesting thing that, you know, people have kind of identified with, with that experience. Um, so, yeah, I, I wanted it to be clear that that's what the book is about. And every memoir is different. So I suppose people know what they're getting from the title and, and the yeah. verb. There's no mistaking it. <laughs> so can you just take us back to the 1960s mm -hmm. and what it felt like? What was the atmosphere like for you? What did it, if you could describe it? For me, as a child... Mostly, I was happy. That much, I know. Um, well, that's great. That is positive, isn't it? Um, 
I, I felt loved both by my parents and both by my foster family. At no point did I sort of feel any levels of anxiety because of the unusual circumstance that I was in. Isn't that amazing, though, with everything that you've been through, yeah. what stands out from your experiences as a child is yeah. that you still felt love. That, that's overarching from what you remember. Yes. That's, gr- that's amazing. It is amazing because I don't think everyone has that privilege. I um, don't think they do at all. <laughs> I agree. So, yeah, I don't want to take that for granted. I was, I was fortunate and um, I, had, I had a good childhood up until that point. Um, I saw my parents, I'm, I'm not sure what the frequency was, but I knew it would, was weekends or when I did start school, it would be um, during school breaks um, for a few days at, at a time. But I've been with my foster mom since I was about a year old. Okay, so, so that was what you knew. Yeah. It wasn't until I was about six, almost six, and I had my sort of first encounter with a a, a racist inverted commas incident in as much as children can be cruel to one another um, that I became really conscious of the fact that I was different and actually that difference seemed to matter to some yeah and can you remember what it felt like that kind of did it feel a little bit like walking to the matrix like everything just felt suddenly I don't know what like you maybe pulled the curtain back and kind of saw a different world like if you if you hadn't have noticed it previously and then that incident with the child bringing a whole new world for you like a whole new understanding it for me i've always been a curious person i've always been that person who wants to know why uh, who wants to get behind things and figure out why that is and why that's the case so I think for me it apart from the anger I I had a temper when I was a child (laughs) apart from the immediate anger and the frustration of um, feeling that I'd been picked on by my friends it did make me actually sort of say well actually she had a point didn't she why was I black and because of my nature uh, that was a question that I repeated to my foster mom that night, that evening. So I said, well, what? this doesn't quite compute. Everyone else in this family is white. So why am I the only black one around here? I mean, I knew my parents were black, but still, it, I suppose in, in some ways I was sort of questioning what why makes somebody here? black and what makes somebody white and why are black people black people and why are white people white people from the eyes of a five or a six-year-old. And what was the answer that you got back? Um, bless her, my, my, my foster mom was, I suppose, flustered would be the, the right word to sort of describe how she probably presented. And uh, uh, her her response was that, you know, God made people black and white. and That's just the way it is. That wasn't enough for me. So I then pushed and my, my follow-up question to her was that, if I scrubbed my skin hard enough, would I be white? Would I would I become white? Um, and that's when she told me a horror story <laughs> that totally wiped the idea out of my head. And what did she tell you? She told me that uh, another child had tried the same thing and, and that he'd ended up scratching himself so badly until he bled and had to go to hospital. Right. That, so that knocked that one out. <laughs> yes. 
and, and just from an adult looking back, what do you think you needed to hear in that moment? Like, if you could say it to yourself, what what would have helped? I'm not even sure. That's not a question I've actually ever thought about, that, you know, what is yeah. it that she could have told me? Um, and I'm not even sure that, I suppose... I mean, what can we tell a five-year-old? Mm. I guess what she did say, that the world is full of lots of different people um, and from different parts. I suppose a little bit of geography and historical knowledge at that point might have helped, you know, perhaps pulling out a globe and sort of explaining that, you know, people from this part of the world, this is what they look like. People from this part of the world, this is what they look like. I suppose it's an interesting thing. And children are often, often curious. I once in my, in my role as a school inspector, I once inspected a school in Cyprus, I think it was, and there was just one little Asian girl in the school. And she saw me in the playground, ran up to me and said, <laughs> you must be from a hot country. Okay. And I realized that she'd been told when she'd asked the question about why she was black, that black people come from hot countries. So yeah. seeing me, her obvious conclusion was, we must come from the same part of the world. Yeah, makes sense. So, yeah, I think at that age, just people just, Children are curious and they just want an answer that will satisfy at that point. And I guess to some degree, the answer I got satisfied me to some extent because it wasn't a question I repeated and I don't remember harping on it. Do you think something shifted in you then once you had the realisation and asked that question, you had the moments in school? Did did your how you viewed yourself in the world? Did your frame of reference change? I don't remember it changing. I don't think, I think it's just one of those moments of reflection as a child and you get the answer you want and then you go back to being blissfully happy again. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I get asked a lot, how can we talk to children about race? How can we talk to children about racism? Mm. And what you, with your book and, and your work and your passion about Improving children's lives and everything that you stand for. What can we say? I mean, is there any age-appropriate terms, sentences? I don't know descriptions. Anything that you would use? Any advice you can give to parents or anybody looking to have these discussions at various ages? Obviously, this is not just a discussion we have yeah. once. It's something that we keep on having, but. Anything through writing this book, through your journey, through your search for belonging, identity, anything that has helped you? I think for me, the important thing as a parent is to be honest with your children. And that might mean tackling difficult conversations. Um, I'm sort of thinking about my granddaughters who are very curious, supposedly, got that in the genes and yeah. um how old are they one seven one's um five okay so they are just so when, so one seven one's four she's not five yet but she's four so four and seven um so they're very much in the room though yes they are and more importantly they can read body language yes so when for whatever reason when we try to fudge things so we try and hedge Certainly the older one is very tuned into that. And that makes her even more curious about what's going on. And sometimes it makes her afraid. 
we, I can imagine. We noticed that can... very early about her personality type. So we, we very early decided that with her honesty and being sensitive, but giving the information in a way that she can understand it and process it at that point in time. And um, she, I mean, even though she's only seven, she started experiencing race and race issues when she was about four. Um, oh. and, and that required some delicate handling because she was picking up things subconsciously and that was affecting how she responded to the world. Of course. Um, so I think... And what did you do? What, what action did you take at four then? I mean, as a grand parent, as a caregiver? I think most of her conversations about it were with her parents for obvious reasons. Right. And, and But one thing I noticed was that she was she went through this phase where she was really curious about where different people came from. Right. And so we tried to be as factual as possible. And it, she was so curious about it that if she heard a singer or she saw someone on, on um, a, a TV program and noticed that their their facial features were different because of their race or wherever they were from, she'd ask. So I think for her, it's helped her to know that people from different parts of the world look different. Personally, I would, I, I, I'm not a scientist, so I might be talking complete nonsense here, but I would... <laughs> Neither am I, so I wouldn't be able to I would believe that some of the um, physio, um, physio, physiological issues to do with the environment have had a huge impact on how each um, race, and I use the word race very carefully because I believe there's only one human race mm -hmm. and everything else has been made up by men to describe things that are different. Um, and every race, inverted commas, does that. Um, but I think, you know, the, the physiological differences in, in terms of the physical differences of the environment have had an impact on, on how we've all developed. We, as black people, have a lot more melanin in our skin because we need it, frankly, if we're going to survive the, the African sun. And you will find that the closer people are to the equator, the, the darker their skin tends to be, um, which explains an awful lot. And for children at that age, that is a perfectly plausible explanation the harder question to answer is why do people treat, treat you different if it's just um if these changes are just superficial if that makes sense and they are superficial we have far more in common than 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 what separates us and and that's a difficult one and the my reality has been that if people do not discriminate because of race they'll find other things to discriminate about i suppose they start it's a sad fact of the human condition that people can find something, won't you? Yeah. And, find something yeah. to poke at. And depending on the age of the children, I think children understand that concept of kindness and being unkind and that some people are unkind and they'll find something to be unkind about. Yeah, yeah. So. And what do you think, with all of your experiences, everything you've been through, all the different spaces you've lived in and experienced do you feel it's given you any gifts any maybe different ways to look at the world i find learning about cultures a fascinating subject and it, 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 i always wonder about what makes makes each culture tick what are 
the values that are important to them. Why are those values important to them? How do those values then affect their behaviors? And that helps significantly to break down cultural barriers and, and cultural misunderstandings. If we understand the whys, that's that I've found helpful so that when people behave in a certain way, I don't make assumptions about it because what might look strange to me is perfectly normal to someone else. I remember that's it, and that's where the disconnection's coming yeah, from. Yeah, and the fact that we make assumptions because we are judging them through our lenses, but every culture is different, and that because they're different doesn't make them inferior, which is often the way the human mind works. If it that's isn't it. as good as mine, then it's not good enough. And well, that's essentially what we're trying to yeah. teach the children and what we're trying to obviously grasp wholeheartedly for yeah. ourselves. Yeah. I think it's easy to say it, but to truly breathe it, that's you right. know, it is difficult because we may all say that we've grasped that, but, you know, there's things we do unconsciously you're absolutely right because we all carry unconscious bias every single one of us we learn them from when we're very young and we use them to make sense of the world around us totally and when people ask me how can you talk to children about race that's exactly what I say and I say it easily knowing that it's hard to do and I say it also as a reminder to myself just to Mm. check your own self yeah check your own bias which we all know exists Mm. obviously I suppose the first thing is just admitting it exists. Yes. Like it happens to us all and we all have that ability yeah. to judge and to hold this bias. And then just watch how it comes out. Yep. And there will be that conscious and subconscious energy that's gifted. And that is what children pick up. Yes. That they sponge that off. How we navigate life, how we navigate our interactions, how we handle conflict, yep. how we handle trauma they're picking that all up in everything we do whilst how we interact with it as in how we're watching the tv how we're interacting with the characters on the tv everything all our interactions they're picking up on so many different levels um and i'm always aware of that and that's the kind of thing that myself personally which i keep on trying to kind of monitor and be aware of but i just think yeah, I just think they just. I think we need. I think we need to give children more um, more credit. They pick up so much more than we give them credit for. That I think that can be often a uh, misunderstanding that we don't don't give them enough power to you know don't give them enough kudos that they're that they're smart enough. I know. I think we can kind of. What's the word I'm looking for? Um, kind of play down their ability to pick up these things, basically. You're, you're absolutely right. They're a, a lot more clever than we ever give them credit for. And the amount that they know and learn and absorb from the environment on a day-to-day basis from all their interactions, they're like sponges. And when we say that often, I know it's a cliche, but they truly mm-hmm. are. And it's funny because as an educator, I'm fascinated with my grandchildren. <laughs> 
Yes, yeah, so am I. I'm fascinated by children. Yes, that must be interesting for you coming back to it. Just it's, it's a completely it. different experience when you're raising your kids, you know, when they're grandkids. It's a totally different um, experience. I'm not, you know, I'm not. Well, yeah, you're removed, aren't you? Yeah. You're slightly more removed from situations. You can see it differently. Yep, and I can see how clever they are and how, from how early on, that that cleverness sort of expresses itself in the way they interact and we often we, we forget that they're people they're just little people but they're, they're just people. little people <laughs> and they, it. yeah it's all there even if they can't necessarily express all the emotions uh, in language that would make sense to to us or, or to them um but yeah we do often totally underestimate how much they pick up how much they learn you know, of all the things that they learn way before parents are even willing to discuss those things. I, I agree. And that's what I think is so dangerous, because if we're not aware of that, that that's when the good modelling comes in, or just the kind of conscious modelling that they are picking up everything. So, you know, to be aware. Mm. Um, I love your phrase of a search for belonging and identity. Why do you feel that's so important for us as women, as women of colour, as parents, as, as I suppose, as role models to our children? I think we all have an innate um, desire to, to belong, to, to belong with to belong with people, to belong to people in a sense, you know, we, yeah. I think that, I know that there are people who don't necessarily like people and rather be on their own, but the vast majority of people do feel a need for connection. I think it's how we're wide, isn't it? Yeah. I think we are all, we are all searching yeah. for our tribe, whether it's conscious or subconscious, we're all kind of heading towards that, yeah. that route. And all yeah. the uh, vices we may put on top of that is just a way to 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 try and I suppose find this journey and some people you know may cover it up with in different ways but I think we are all fighting to get there fighting to find that space I also think that for me what was also interesting looking back on my life is that you can be successful and still not have that innate desire satisfied and yeah. you, you can learn all sorts of techniques in terms of hiding it. And lots of people do that. That's exactly what ways. I mean. Yeah. Um, put food in it, put alcohol yeah. in it, put sex on it, put money on it. Yeah. That innate yeah. need is often still there unsatisfied. Um, and so in a way, you, you've, you've got, for, for a lot of people, they've got to find that. And sometimes it's not even necessarily about a tribe. I think sometimes, sometimes I think for some people, sometimes it's not necessarily because you want to be part of a group, but it's just that you want to know you're not an aberration. Mm. That you're you're normal, like as normal as anybody else can be. Um, because for me, it wasn't so much that I wanted to belong to a group of people or anything like that. I just, with, with so many people and so different people giving you different labels, and you imbibe that and you see yourself through those lenses or not, 
So when you don't see yourself through the same lens, it brings conflict to you as an individual. Mm, and that's again. And it was so it was that sense of conflict in your identity that then creates chaos in your mind. Or the chaos and the trauma. Yeah. Is there anything that anybody could have said to you to help you on this journey? Or did you have to go through everything you went through? Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hmm, it's an interesting question. I, I don't know. I mean, if someone had known what I was going through and they had sufficient psychological know-how and skills to support me through it then perhaps they might have said something that might have been helpful but I suspect that a lot of that is about the individual journeys we all have to make yeah I just yeah you know when you kind of feel like you need to do the journey to learn the lesson yes and you know when you hear all those stories about people on their deathbeds and they'll say, I wish I'd done this. I wish I'd spent more time with my children. I wish I'd spent less time working. I just wonder, is there any way to get to those lessons faster or do we just have to do it the hard way? Do we just have to learn it and fall down and find our find our path that way? I think there's probably an element to both. Um when I see people who are struggling through, I, I work with, with families and parents and with schools, and when I see symptoms of the kind of confusion that I went through uh, and I talk to parents, that puts them in a better position to do something about it, to change whatever they're doing, to bring some consistency into their child's life. And actually, I've seen... And parents have reported dramatic um, differences in their children as a result of them changing what they do. So actually, people knowing the right things at the right time can make a huge difference to some. Yeah, I, I think that can be life changing. That can be a life changing gift that a, a parent can give to a child, mm. which then can allow that child to be the next future trailblazers, the future scientists, the future whatever, to have the space to even dream in. Yeah. But like you said, in that moment, in the in the actual chaos, when you're in the the darkest moments, um, it can all feel 
impossible. Mm. Is there anything that really got you through the very chaotic moments? Is there anything that you, any anchors that you held on to? Having someone I could talk to, which happened in the form of my head teacher when I first started teaching in the UK, um, because I was processing culture shock on a huge level, but I was also teaching and I was raising kids at the same time. And there was just so much I didn't quite understand and that I couldn't get my head around. And she was a non-judgmental sounding board. And for that, I would always be grateful because I was able to say, this is how I'm looking at my world, but this is being thrown at me. What do you think of this? And while she never, ever gave me any answers, she was able to challenge my thinking and make me process the world differently. And and that really helped. Did you ever have any fear of, I don't know, any of your fears or any um, of your trauma coming out in your parenting? No. Like any, didn't, okay. No. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> if anything, I made a conscious decision that I, I knew I was going to make, well, I didn't know I was, but I made all sorts of new mistakes as a parent because every parent does. Of course. Um, but yeah. I made a conscious decision about the things that, I experienced in my parenting that I did not want to happen to my children. Now, that, you know, right. that made me a better parent or not, mm. but the relationship that I have with my children now, I think, is a testament to how successful I was and I have a really good relationship with my children. Yeah. So what were those things that you thought, I am never going to repeat this? Or what were those, like, those fundamental lessons that you that you were talking about? I think being able, being able to talk to them as human beings, not talk down at them. Yeah. And I think that's quite a fresh concept, you know? Yeah. Because I think, I think it's been so long as, you know, children should be seen and not heard. Children, um, yeah, I think like you are saying, uh, to kind of talk down to... Um, like we were saying earlier, we don't give them respect of, you know, how intelligent or that they might have feelings or they might have an, a point of view. So I think that's great to meet them where they're at, to talk to them, like you said, as small humans. Yeah. Also, as a family, whenever we had to make any major decisions, we included them in the decision making. So Brilliant. we had points in our life where relatives needed somewhere to stay temporarily. We included them in the discussions. We explained to them the circumstances for that relative, how that person staying with us would help them, how it might impact on our lives. Mm-hmm. And then we had discussions about whether it was the right thing to do and were we willing to make that sacrifice for that person. So that yeah, they didn't that's feel things were being blindsided. Yeah. Uh, even when I was um, going to apply for a job as a head teacher, and I knew that it would require me working longer hours, we actually sat down and had a conversation about it. That if I go for this and I get this job, this is how it might affect our family life. 
I think that is, I'm, I taking notes for that. I talk to my children, but that is brilliant to sit down and really, really discuss it. I think that that's, that's great. And did they have opinions yes. that they raised? They did. They did. And we tried to take those on board whenever we could. That's nice. See, again, I think that is also groundbreaking. I think that is a game changer just to be heard, yeah. to be valued, to be seen, to, to see that your parents really want to hear what your thoughts are. I, I think... I think that can um, that could affect how you handle all negotiations. You know, moving forward, it could affect how you have confidence to go for a promotion. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it can really can affect how you walk through life. Just to think, my I'm valued, I'm worthy, my opinion matters. Yeah. I love that. That's great. That's great. And you you feel you can see that resonating now. Yes, absolutely. Um, I, I, I'll be as bold as to say my, my kids and my friends. Be, be bold, say. <laughs> they are. They are. And, and, and I mean, the other thing that we that I promised myself was that no topic would be off limits. And okay. I, I remember when when they started dating and their partners <laughs> would visit, they, they used to look shell-shocked at... Uh, all of us having conversations, including conversations about sex, and that the, their partners are you, you're talking about sex with your parents. <laughs> How is that even normal? <laughs> but we, I wanted them to know if they had questions, they could always come and ask. Yeah. Because I felt that they were always children go through the world filtering information from different sources yeah. in order to make their choices and their decisions. Yeah, uh, and, and at least did. you know what that information yes. is. If you're giving, if this is what sex is, yeah. this is what, you know, if you're giving them the baseline and you know that's coming from a good, reputable, safe source, yeah. then that's great. So it's nice just to squash, I suppose, just get get ahead of it, preempt anything. So obviously we know children are going to be curious. We know when you start dating, feelings things are going to start happening. So um, that's really nice. What sort of ages was this when you were having these discussions? We, my, the, the first time, I mean, they could talk to us about anything from any age. And I think with the girls, we, I, I'd started, I gave them a book to, to, that introduced them to the concept of sex and all those physiological changes when they were about right. 10. Um, great. But I remember my son having a conversation with me and he was the one who brought it up and asked the questions when he was eight. Wow. Which was a fascinating conversation while we were in the car <laughs> and I was driving into school. Of course. Which kind of started with, Mom, I read a book in the school library and, right. and it says that um, for babies to be born, a man has to put, and then he wouldn't say the word, um, right, it's a big word. Is, okay. uh, into a woman's, is this true? Um, and I remember, such an, I hope I just don't crash the car while I'm yeah. Um And was there any resistance in you? Like, honestly, was there anything where you just kind of wanted to 
I don't know, avoid the subject or... No, no avoidance, because no. He, was, he was the youngest of the three. So he's been through a lot with it. And there's a five-year gap between him and my middle one. So I've right. already gone through lots with the older children. It was just that it's not the best conversation to have with a young boy while you're driving him to school. No. Uh, and I remember saying, well, yes, it is true. And then I remember him saying, but that's disgusting. And, and I said, <laughs> well, stop for a moment. Think about it. If it's that disgusting, there'll be no humans at all on the earth. So for the world to work, that has to happen. And then he thought about it for a minute or two. Then he came back with a rejoinder that something like, so you must have done it three times. <laughs> At least. At yeah. point, I almost did crash the car. <laughs> oh, I can just see him sitting there pondering. Hmm, so mummy, mummy, yeah. daddy. I hope he doesn't hear this podcast, by the way. <laughs> I'm sending it to him. I'm going to find him and send it to him. So, yeah, no, we were, we were open as a family. Nothing was off limits. We had open discussions. And actually, I think as a family, that's helped us to bond, it's helped us to grow. Um, and it means that we can be honest and real with one another. Yeah, and I think it just makes the children feel safe so that they know there's no stupid questions, there's nothing silly, there's nothing rude or naughty or dirty. Mm -hmm. You can just ask the questions. And again, coming from that safe, reliable source of mum and dad rather than going and exploring elsewhere. Yeah. I mean, even if you do do that, you still have your version. And with you being so upfront and honest, you know, you, at least you know that that thinking is going in somewhere. Yeah. So to anyone listening who is on a journey to discovering their identity or searching for that sense of belonging, anything you can say to them that, that helped you, or, or maybe anybody listening who's struggling with finding their sense of identity? I think what really helped me was when I went through this process where I listed the different cultures or identities at war in my life. That's a really, <coughs> nice, me. really nice way to put it, at war. Yeah. So when I listed them, I then asked myself, what is it I like about each one? And what is it I don't like or that I detest about each one? And actually, when I started to do that, I could see me emerging. Oh, that's a nice exercise. Did you do this on paper? I did. That's nice. So you can just see the essence of you written yeah. down and it was clear that there's certain values that had always guided my life even when i couldn't put a name to them and there were certain things that always always been important to me the principle of fairness was a key one mainly because i spent those initial years in nigeria constantly thinking that this isn't fair this isn't fair why is this yeah. happening to me? Why me so i kind of grew up with that being a core underlying principle that affected everything i did and so I, I began to see who I was by just doing that. Yes, I, I'm not one or the other. And I think sometimes that's a problem, that we're trying to box ourselves in. And yet every human being is an amazing creation in his or her own right. And 
and and unique i mean down to the dna level so why are we all trying to be the same yeah or why do we have to have the boxes i know it just feels easier for our brains doesn't it because everything maybe everything else every other option feels so chaotic and so for me it was it was not having to choose one or the other but to try to be both within some limits i mean I lean towards one culture more than the other. That's very obvious in the way I live my life and, and my preferences and things like that. But I got to the point where I didn't need to deny one, whereas at one stage I was in that stage of denial. And actually I did do some reading about culture and identity and stuff like that um, and, and began to understand the different stages that individuals can go through when they're caught between cultures. And invariably what you want is to at some point arrive in a place where you're integrated into both cultures whereas there are people who can end up being marginalized Mm. and often if they're marginalized they're not successful in either of the cultures it might not be obvious but over time you see the impact of that there are people who actually assimilate into one culture completely and deny the other yeah, I mean, that that's courageous to admit that, isn't it? Yes. You might and, and even be aware you're doing it. Exactly. And some people do that more successfully than others. And I guess it depends on how much the culture you assimilate into accepts who you are. If you try assimilating into a culture and that culture rejects you, then you're in trouble. Of course, yeah. And then there are some people who separate from both identities that they're struggling with and invariably more often than not find a different third identity and that could end up being you know with a group that ends up taking their life down a direction that they might otherwise not have gone so and and most people go through those different stages not in a linear fashion but as they try and figure out who they are and what they want out of life at some point you might meander in and out of you know a couple or more of those different states of being um but ideally what you want to to be someone who can live a life where those quarters don't cause you undue stress that's it so it's just finding that space of acceptance yeah which is just being brutally honest and aware, which is tricky. You know, the, these are the bits that we we're talking about before, the bits you might hide or bits you might yeah. somehow, you know, lie to yourself about. And that's, that's the tricky thing. That's what I think kids are brilliant at. But, you know, as we get older, it's really, um, really easy for us to just, I suppose, lie and hide and... Um, that's when all the trouble starts. It is. And it's it's interesting you say that about what we hide because um, I do diversity training. Yeah. And one of the, the, the facts that we share is a, a study, I believe, by Deloitte, I believe it was, um, where they found out that a, um, a large proportion of people, I think it was about 65%, I don't want to quote the figures wrongly, mm-hmm. um, that they hide a part of their identity. And what that study went on to show was that people are far more productive at work when they're not hiding a part of their personality. I can imagine. Because you've got like a mask, yes. someone wearing a mask, talking to another person wearing a mask, and if we could just both speak to 
whole being to whole being, we'd probably be more productive because you understand where everyone's yeah. at. Mm -hmm. If we could hide less and be more. <laughs> yeah, I think that, <laughs> that, that is the mantra. Hide less, be more. You know what? That is the mantra. That's the mantra. Hide less, be more. That, I mean, God, it sounds so easy, but so, so difficult. But thank you. I'm going to take that as my mantra, I think. <laughs> so what's next for you? You've got the book out. What What's next? I am hoping as next year approaches to gradually reduce how much I do in the day job and spend more time writing. Nice. That's a great goal. So that's, that's the goal. goal. Good luck. Good Thank luck you. with that. And I look forward to seeing what's coming next, what you're going to be writing next. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you for sharing. Thank, thank you for writing the book in the first place. I think it's so incredibly brave and so eloquent and and just, yeah, just, just so courageous to share like that and to put yourself out there, especially to put it in writing so that it, you know, it's there forever in black and white. So I'm totally in awe of you being able to do that. Thank you. I did wonder at some point that did I really want to do this? <laughs> <laughs> it's done now. Well, yes. <laughs> By the time that realization dawned on me, it was a little bit too. It was already on Amazon, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Ah. Dope black moms. If you'd like to join the Dope Black Mums private Facebook group, please search Dope Black Mums on Facebook. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe. Please follow on all socials at Dope Black Mums. Thanks so much for listening. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.